unfortunately with the other three lads indisposed again this week for various reasons so we'll probably keep it short and sweet again probably between half an hour and 60 minutes depending on whether we touch on things a bit more in depth i'll see how i'm feeling when we get to them um i'll touch on some sport uh topics that i guess have have frustrated me or i want to discuss with people or want to get some feedback through the socials which would be good and yeah, then we'll touch on the Oracle Hour. I think we've got three really good race meets down there in in Sydney. One at Rose Hill, one at Mooney Valley, and then the, the, there's a couple of good races up here at Eagle Farm, which is good. So it's nice to see some of the good horses resuming in a couple of these lead-up races to a couple of the big group ones moving forward. Now, firstly, I thought I'd touch on, because obviously it's a bit of a, a famous or a, a favourite segment of ours, is the Wanker of the Week. Now, I'm going down a bit of a different route this week. So, mine is three people. And my three people are a bloke by the name of Rick Williams, Tony Archer, and Nathan McGurk. Now, they are the three individuals who are involved in the NRL bunker and introducing it to the NRL. Now... It's becoming increasingly frustrating how inconsistent the calls are coming from the bunker. Look at Warbrick's knock-on, which every day of the week, in my opinion, is a knock-on. Look at the Clint Gutherson uh, issue that happened with him knocking the ball out. And then just a various bunch of different head highs and different late hits, which are just so inconsistent across the the sport and to be honest in my opinion it's ruining rugby league and I think if Peter Volandis knows what he's doing he needs to scrap it and we need to go back to the old days of bringing back Bill Harrigan and Tim Mander who in my opinion were great referees yes we questioned some of the calls from time to time but I can guarantee you that 99 times out of 100 they got the call right compared to the bunker now which to be honest I would be saying looking back on this this season at least looking back and saying 50% of their calls are questionable and and are changing games and results so that's just my opinion on it <coughs> feel free to throw your own two cents into us on socials or or comment on the on the post when when con puts it up on the instagram but i'm sick of it and it's starting to really really shit me moving forward now, what was interesting is I think um, the NRL is starting to really fire up this um, these last two weeks. Okay, I think a couple of teams are are starting to look a bit bit weary leading into the finals footy. I think the big one is the Rabbitohs. Now, I think that loss to the Sharks has really, really rattled them, and it's interesting to see that they've got two derby games now. So they've got the Dragons coming up this week. Who who knows what Dragons team's going to turn up. You've got the Roosters the following week. And then I forget who they've got the in the middle there. I think it is the Knights, who we look, who we all think is probably heading towards a top eight spot with Kalen Ponga leading from the front. So I think if you're looking purely from a top eight perspective, I think I'd be worried if I was a Rabbitohs fan going into these final three rounds, as I would a Cowboys fan now. Tristo, my business partner, I apologise for this, mate, because I know how passionate you are about those cows of yours. But to be honest, I'm the same with them. I think they're looking quite weary uh, heading into this. They're lucky enough that they got the buy this week. But then <laughs> they've got the Sharks there, in who are another team vying for a top eight spot. Uh, next week and then they finish with the Dolphins in a Queensland derby so I think they're going to be I think they'll make it if results go their way but I certainly would be a bit worried um, I think the Panthers and the Broncos though are the the team that you the two teams that you're going to be looking for in the grand final I just honestly after watching the Panthers do what they did to Melbourne last week and pretty much what they've done these last four or five weeks since Origin they just look too clinical and, and arguably a lot of people, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of reports, I'm reading a lot on Twitter, people are saying that these guys are, are heading down the route of, of being better than the previous two seasons and I can't disagree with them. I think they're a, a really well-rounded team and I think they're doing all the right things. And then you've got the Bronx who are just 
killing it, like no Adam Reynolds last week, and they still dismantled that uh, Cowboys team quite easily. I think they covered the line quite easily as well. So that's interesting. You've got the Warriors who just won last week. Now, when I say just won, they won by 10, but they didn't exactly meet an opposition who was that good. So... I don't know. I think the Warriors are going to be an interesting team. And um, they've got the West Tigers, I think, over in New Zealand this week, which will be interesting. Um, the Storm face the Raiders this weekend. So I read a statistic just recently about their, these two and their derbies in Melbourne. And the Raiders, I think, have won the last five encounters in Melbourne over the Storm. Now, haven't won by much, but they've won. So if you're looking purely from a tipping perspective, I'm actually going the Raiders in my work tipping comp this week, um, purely off that. And that'll throw a real spanner in the works because the Raiders will actually jump the storm on the ladder with that win. So who knows? So it's it's shaping for a really, really good round. And I think um, I think if you're a betting man, you'd be back in a, a Panthers-Broncos final, but who knows? Now, what brings me to the rugby union? So, um, I'm one of probably the eight people who ended up watching the Wallabies play the All Blacks on the weekend. Um, it was another heartbreaking loss, uh, cost cost by ill discipline again from the Wallabies. I just, I just don't get how we are so much more ill-disciplined compared to every other international rugby team. Is it a fatigue factor? Is it a desperation factor? Or is it just the fact that we do not know the laws of the game that well here in Australia? Because we had that game. I think we were up 17-3. We scored the first two tries. We were playing really, really, really good footy. And then it just... We just explode. He just had a brain explosion, and and look where we are. I thought our front rowers, our reserve front rowers, who came on in that second half, were deplorable. I don't know what it was, whether it was the New Zealand scrum or whether it was just those blokes are just not as good. But that is what made the difference in that second half. And I think also you can make a case that New Zealand did field their B team on paper, but in my opinion, that B team would be ranked in the top five teams in the world if they were to go around the international circuit. So I think that's irrelevant when you look at it like that. Um, <clears throat> a couple of interesting things happened in Europe, though, like seeing Scotland knock over France, the the World Cup favourites, to, to host it. And then you saw Wales also beating England. Now, I don't think you can take much from it because obviously the, I think coaches and, and teams are certainly trying new combinations, resting certain individuals, because I think a lot of teams only have maybe zero or, or one game before the World Cup in September. So it was quite interesting. So when you look at it like this, I think we've played France in a couple of weeks' time as our last lead-up match. So it'll be interesting to see whether we go down the route of putting a full-strength team in and try and hit the ground running going to those pools or whether we... Um, whether we put like rest teams, uh, rest players, and and try and get players a bit more exposed to to some of it, I guess it'd be interesting to see if France do the same thing. Now, if you're looking at purely from a World Cup perspective, I I wouldn't take much um, from that loss for for France from Scotland, but in my opinion, I think. New Zealand should be rightly favourite for it just because it is New Zealand. But I wouldn't be putting a pen through Ireland or France. And I think if you look at our draw and we actually step up and play to our ability, I think Australia is a sniff because if you look at the way the, the World Cup pools and this finals are structured, we should technically finish top of our pool. We will then face a really weak runner-up of a pool and then we will pretty much be gifted a semi-final slot. And the likelihood of us meeting... New Zealand is going to be in the final and that'll probably likely be it unless, of course, we finish second in our pool. So I think we're a smoky in that if we play to our ability, but I think the top three in the market in being in New Zealand, Ireland and France, I think they're they're your top two. And I think what's interesting about this World Cup is how often you see Ireland peak the year before a World Cup where they knock off, I guess, New Zealand. Like I think last year they knocked off New Zealand. They won 3-0 um, away, I think this is the first time in history they've done that. But this year they seem to be have an element of timing about them. But what was interesting, I, I read or heard a rumor that uh, Jonathan Sexton's not a hundred percent. So that'll be interesting to see if anything comes out about that in mainstream media. But it's a worrying sign for Ireland if it's true. But if it's not, watch out. And I think coming from the Irish blood in me, I'll be certainly cheering them on. Uh, the next thing I want to chat about is the Tillies. How good was that win over Denmark on Monday night? 
Now, obviously, there's a lot of chat about Samantha Kerr and um, I guess her injury or calf injury over over the the course of this tournament. But I thought she was really good when she came on and she um, had a really nice strike. She hit the ground probably in the last 20 minutes after a, probably a strong tackle from one of the defenders there from Denmark and she looked to get up really ginger which had me a bit worried but she got up quite easily and I think she was just slow to get up because the ball wasn't around her what's interesting though is I just love how the the Australian public are getting around the girls like they're selling out stadiums all through through Australia which is fantastic like I drove back past I was playing touch footy on Monday night and I drove back past um, Suncorp on my way home and you could had the windows out and you could just hear the roars from the crowd like it was actually fantastic to see and I think I just want to make a big shout out to um, Mary Fowler like I hadn't watched a great deal of Matilda's um, games, but that Mary Fowl, I think she, I'm not just sure 100% of her position, but I think she was in the midfield, she wore the gloves, but she's an absolute weapon, and I think um, I think if, if Kerr doesn't make it through the finals and, and all that, I think she's going to be the one that we're going to have to keep our eye on, because she's going to be the driving force behind us. It'll be interesting to see how we go against France on Saturday afternoon, because they're coming off a very big win over Morocco, and um, I think they're second or third favourites now for it. So let's see how we go for there. Um, so let's touch on the AFL now as well. So I think the Brownlow medal. So I'd hate to be one of those people who took the shorts about uh, Nick Dacos for the for the for the Brownlow with that injury now. Um, I think the last time I checked on Betfair, he was about a dollar seventy-two, which is really quite short for a fellow when you've got quite a few rounds left and. Players like um, Marcus Bontempelli, who, in my opinion, is the form player of the league at the moment, and I think he's single-handedly keeping the doggies in the, in the finals hunt. He's absolutely killing it, and I reckon he's polled three votes in the last maybe four, maybe even five rounds. So he's one to keep an eye on. And I think last time I checked, I took a little little bit of a um, bet on him at $8. So I haven't checked his odds since then. But I think if you're a betting man or a woman, um, I think have a little snippet on that because I think with this injury to Dacos, I think it's a, a hairline fracture to his tibia. So the load-bearing bone of the lower leg, the healing times of that, obviously being a young fella will probably be quite quick. But it's one of those things when you're dealing with a fracture like that and it's load management with him, he may only come back mid midway through the finals, who knows? Which then leads me to the pies. I, I remember calling out, and I was speaking to a couple of mates of mine, one is one, Paulie, who's a, a massive, massive pies fan. I said to them that I might as well give the, the cup now to... Um, to the pies midway through the season, but I feel like they're starting to, I don't know, come back to the... Um, to the rest of the teams because that game against the Hawks on the weekend, they were deplorable. Yes, the Hawks obviously stepped up and finally played to their potential, but I didn't think they were very good. Um, so I'd be a bit of a, I'd be a bit worried if I, particularly now with this injury to Nick Dacos, I'd be a bit worried if I was a Pies fan heading to this finals. The likelihood they'll finish top four, def- maybe even top two, but still home ground regardless. There's a chance that they might meet a stronger team, someone like the D's or something like that coming into form and an understrength team, underperforming team. You don't want to be doing that. thought I'd um, also bring up the Lions being my team. I was quite glad to see them knock off Frio over in WA because how often have we seen the Lions over the last 12 months um, dominate at home here at the Gabba and then go play, o- play o- away or over in Perth or down in Melbourne and one, lose or just, just not play well, but also lose those really gritty games where you need to grind out a win. I thought the win for them over um, over the Frio team, I thought that was really, really good. And I think they, they definitely deserved it. Now, I, I'm not sure what we're going to do with the weekly multi. I might see if, if Con wants to, to post something on the socials, but I think we need to bring it back. Um, for us, so we'll touch on that. So keep an eye on those socials for that weekly multi. All right, so now bring you on, <coughs> excuse me, guys. Um, I still got that mild cough that I had last week. Apologies. So I thought we'd touch on the Oracle Hour now that I've had my little rant on the sport for the weekend. So I think we'll start with a bit of a week in review. We'll then touch on the Rose Hill meet. We'll touch on the Mooney Valley meet and then Eagle Farm. And then I've got a little snippet for something for you on Friday. 
All right, so first things first, um, we had a 50% ROI or return on investment last weekend for the for the tippers, which was really good. So I sent my unit staking through to the boys and I think we invested, what, 20 and a half units for a return of, of just over 32, I think it was. So it was a really good weekend. So if any listeners really want to get my proper unit staking rather than just listening to it just let con or or the guys on on the social media know and i can when we're just having our discussions i can literally tell you what my unit staking would be now remember the unit staking is is zero to five five being the biggest bet or my most confident bet and then obviously a half bet would be just a a really small stake now remember one unit is one percent of your entire betting pool all right so if you've got um, uh, if you've got say a thousand dollars to bet with, then one unit will be ten dollars. Now I can't emphasise this more, and I think the boys are starting to understand it a little bit better. That don't get trigger happy. Even though you feel like fifty dollars of your thousand dollars is your biggest bet, just make sure that you got to can handle those losses. So that's just what I want to say. So. Um, the winners were really good. Like I thought Benedetta was really good despite running, racing quite keenly. Um, I didn't really like the ride of, of Tatum Bull as much as um, some of people said. I do understand, obviously, she's a three kilo claiming apprentice and she had a lot of pressure on her with Benedetta, the new boom, um, boom filly coming through the ranks and the sprinting ranks at least. She had a lot of pressure on her and I thought she rode her soundly, but I thought she could have been written better. And I think when Stackhouse, her Tatum Bull's um, partner, funnily enough, gets back on, I think she'll be better suited. Now, what's interesting is I think I made the comment about her for the Manicato. She's now shortened into $17 for that race. So I hope everyone took a bit of the $26 or more, depending on your bookmaker, um, just about and just had a snippet. Um, IME was amazing in that... Uh, in that missile stakes, hit the ground running, had Big Parade out there annoying it, but just went on with it. It was certainly sad to see Big Parade break down, and I just want to make a massive mention to Josh Parr and James McDonald because that was incredible horsemanship what those two did to, one, somehow stabilise Big Parade despite um, suffering a, a, a life-threatening injury and how J-Mac stayed on Golden Mile, who was the most interfered horse in that race, is just phenomenal. And um, it still gives me shivers down my spine watching that replay and just seeing how well that those two boys did. Um, it's our time saluted in the Ori Star, which I thought Benedetta was going to, um, without sounding like a, a broken record. Michael D again, he's just a superstar jockey and just follow him with confidence with any horse. Um, moving into this spring because he's just riding like an absolute demon. And in my opinion, I think he's in the top echelon of jockeys here in Australia. Um, we had a little small bet at Kembla Grange on a horse called Vincenzo. Um, it was a brilliant ride for JVO, um, who's riding like an absolute demon out there in the country. So keep an eye on John, John Van Overmeer. And then we had a little play at Goodwood in a horse called Sweet William. So it was a really good um, day for us. A um, couple of comments. Faulkner Park, I said, was the best bet on the card at at Rose Hill. And I bet accordingly. It was a, it was a four-unit play for me. It, um, I thought the horse did amazingly. And um, I don't think it lost any admirers. It just tempo was against it. And it's how it managed to rattle home some of those sectionals over 2,400. I'm um, sorry, 1,800 after stepping back over 2,400 was phenomenal. Now, I'm not sure where Annabelle Nisham goes with the horse. I'm, I'm quite intrigued, but I don't think the horse would look out of place in a Caulfield Cup moving forward um, or even a Metropolitan. So let's just wait and see. And I know it's, I think it's in the noms for both of them. So I guess uh, let Annabelle Nisham decide. Um, now, there was there an interesting thing discussed this week by Racing Victoria. There were two concepts introduced. One was um, miking up jockeys so you can listen to it during the race. Now, my opinion of this is I think it's a waste of time. I think the, it just removes any sort of psychological, I guess, um, banter between the jockeys and the jockeys are going to be so conscious of what they can say and do and and yell in a race i just don't think it should be a part of the public's eye so my opinion is i don't like it and i don't think it should happen i know that you hear about jockeys like damien oliver who are just constantly talking and bantering and throwing chat at all the other jockeys throughout a race like that's the best part of racing is each jockey rides differently and and reacts differently and let them keep doing that 
The other one was a whip-free series, which I think is an absolute joke. Um, I know you'll get your animal activists, and I apologize for this thinking about the animal cruelty, but as a horse owner, you guys, unless you go out to the stables where the horses are um, housed, you have no idea how well those horses are kept. Yes, I get there are a couple of bad people or bad eggs in, in the industry, but when you look at like that, there's surgeons out there who are bad eggs. There's um, There's electricians, there's tow truck drivers there's tradesmen there's all these people out there's bad eggs in every industry it's just because horse racing is the most in the limelight that you hear about it um i think the whip is a great use and i think the laws that they have around whip usage on horses are great at the moment and clearly that's that the horses aren't injured or anything like that and those horses are treated really really well so that's just my opinion on it feel free to to throw us in a dm about that but um again that's why opinions exist all right, so let's touch on the on the races this weekend. So we head to Rose Hill first, and then we'll touch on the other two. So Rose Hill there, <coughs> excuse me, the rail's out three metres. So if you look at last week, the rail's in the true position now. <coughs> Sorry. I won't say that it was a leader bias day, but it was certainly advantageous to be on speed or up in that first few. Obviously, like we spoke about with Faulkner Park, he came down the outside and rocketed home, and a few other horses also did the same. So I wouldn't be too concerned about it being a leader bias, but just make make note of it. And like I said with us in the review last week regarding Mooney Valley, just watch the first two races. If you see that the horse that jumps and leads or the horse that just sits behind the leaders skips away to win around the bend and nothing's making ground well bet accordingly simple as that like i said you can hop on some like sports better great for it where you can give you a speed map i use racing and sports or um uh or even the tab app they're all really really good and then compare the speed maps and if you see that say three of them say a certain horse is leading we'll jump on that horse Obviously, take a look at the odds of the jockey in the recent starts, but nine times out of ten, if it's a leader bias, the leader usually wins. So um, just think smart about your punting with that and, and just don't jump chime in too early. Like, it's pointless getting on a horse um, on Wednesday night um, after all the early prices are gone. Just wait till the weekend, and then when the market adjusts back to 100%, it just makes life a bit easier because you know what kind of price you're going to get and the scratchings have all gone through. Now, like I said, the weather's going to be really, really good in Sydney, so I think we're going to be dealing with a good three, good four down there. Now, we've got a feature race on the card, which is called the Listed Rosebud. So it's a three-year-old race, which is in the one of the main lead-ups to the Golden Rose, which in Australia is one of the bigger stallion-making um, making races. So it's um it's it's quite a good kickoff point for those three-year-olds. So just keep keep an eye on a few, and I've got a couple to touch on in that race. So the races I want to touch on at Rose Hill are race 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Now, I haven't touched on 10, which is the obviously the last leg of the quaddie, but I'll let you guys um, dictate that one, and we'll see how we go. So the first race I want to touch on is race 5. Now, I, t- I commented on it last week when we were discussing I Am Me. So I thought I Am Me trialed really well, but I thought Extremely Lucky trialed even better. So... That horse is the $2.40 favourite here with James McDonald booked, which is, um, I think, a really strong push from the Wally Yard. Now, you'll probably see in the form guide here now on Thursday night that Alentia, or Alentia, I think it is, has also got J-Mac booked. Now, a common thing for Waller is if a horse draws out, he'll likely scratch it. And the fact that J-Mac's been booked for both, the highly likely that Alentia will be scratched and you'll find extremely lucky. You'll probably start with a one in front of its name and will probably go on to win this race, to be honest. I think there's a couple of horses here that you can probably keep an eye on. I think if we identify that there's a leader bias going on, then that's going to bring a little bit of a play into it. I think horse, a horse by the name of Tristate, drawn in barrier three with the really low weight, I think could make a really good chance for that race because it's drawn really nicely. And then obviously a horse that we've been quite fond of in um, in Diamond Dealer has also drawn the inside pole, lightweight, um, good distance record. But if you're looking at it purely from a fair tracking perspective, I think if Extremely Lucky is going to live up to the heights and the expectations that a lot of people have of it, and it's going to go on to win this race quite easily, and I think it's going to get into Group 2, Group 3, maybe in Group 1 level this this prep. So let's wait and see. 
All right, so race six now. So we got the BM78, uh, Vinery Stud Handicap, B uh, for three-year-olds and upwards. Now, there's a couple of interesting horses. I've got two black bookers in this race, which is quite annoying. So we've got a horse by the name of Fear Nought, which is a Jason Collette, Chris Waller mount again. I really love the horse's run last start in this grade over the 1,400 metres at Randwick. I thought it was a really strong win, and I think... What was interesting is I actually really liked it at Flemington last week, and then for it to be scratched and brought here says something to me. Now, Jason Collette obviously rode it last start, which is great, so he keeps his association. The horse has drawn out, and it is at, at decent odds, so I'm intrigued by that. The other horse that I've got an opinion of is Call Die, which is the favourite. So when we go back and look through that horse's, horse's history, it's got been racing. It broke its maiden, I think, very early on, um, in February last year and then went on to group two and group three and eventually group one level all in one prep. So I think that says enough about the opinion that Gerald Ryan and Stanley Alexio have of the horse and um, whether or not it's going to be short of its best being um, over 1400. We'll wait and see because I know that it put up a really, some really good figures over a longer trips, but I think the horse is in for a really good prep. I really liked its trial there on the 28th of July and Timmy Clark's doing really well, and, and um, Gerald Ryan Sterling and Alexio are absolutely flying. I'm sorry I can't give you guys a bit of clarity in that race because I've got those two black bookers, but I think if you're a betting man, I'd be um, putting your main bet on Call Die, and then I'd probably be saving on Fear Naught. All right, race seven now. So this is another BM7 out for Colts and Gelding. So it's the boys now. So this is another um, over 1,400. Now, it's interesting to see the favorite down here, Freedom Rally, from uh, the Tony Golan Yard up here in Queensland. So the horse has had five starts for four wins, and I think the only blemishes to his career was on, on debut, which was a fourth, funnily enough, by 08 of a length behind um, the winner Clovis Prince. So the horse has gone on to bigger and better things and I've put up some really, really good figures this prep. It won first up in, in June with Orman on board by two lengths in a, in a class one, then went to a three-year-old handicap demolished a field again and then went to another three-year-old handicap and again demolished that field so i think the horse is coming down here in a bit of winning form whether or not it's beaten the quality of this field that it's going to face here is interesting i'm not sure about that now water goes i know corbs is um a big fan of the horse i think it was in his black book from last time is what from what i can gather um it led up the field last um last week did really really well over the 1350 um, one by about three lengths. So it was a really strong win. It does go up in weight, however. So it goes, it was in this grade now, it goes up from 58 kilos to the 61. Um, so that's an interesting, interesting push. Um, the horse that I'm really keen on, though, is this Chalton Lane. So the horse is, uh, is a UK import from Mar Eustace. So they brought it out here. Um, it ran, I think, earlier this year over overseas and. Um, I think it's got quite good breeding on its line. So it's had four starts for two wins in a second. Now, you go back and look at its debut run here in Australia on the 1st of July. It's it's won over the 1,300 here at Rose Hill with Jason Collette on board, beating Plundering, Amor Victorious, and what end, and Baroque Road, who, who went round last weekend as well. Um, it beat them in a good field and then went to a BM72, um, and, and then it was out and it was rested and then brought back for a, a, a run on, I think, a trial on the 4th of August, which which looked good to the eye. So I think the horse, and I think Ma Eustace have a really, really good opinion of the horse. And I think if you're looking at purely from a betting perspective, I think it's got a better, If obviously, if it's racing fairly at Rose Hill again, I think it's got a better profile going into this race than Freedom Rally. And I can't understand why there's such a difference in their prices, considering that Freedom Rally really hasn't beaten a whole deal up here in Queensland and Chalton Lane has a really really um good record or a good there's a good opinion of it down here so purely from a betting perspective on prices only betting on Chalton Lane um if you're going from a quaddy perspective I'd be going I'd be chucking in probably I'd I'd probably chuck Ch Chalton Lane I'd chuck uh water goes I chuck Exolitus and probably chuck Freedom Rally because just because who knows? Yes, it's been beating nothing, but we've seen that all before where they've come out of nowhere and they've absolutely blitzed them. 
All right, so that brings me now to the, the feature race on the card, which is the Rosebud, like I said, leading up to the Golden Rose, which is a 1,400-meter race um, and a Bill Stallion, Stallion uh, making race. Now, I look at this field, and it's really, really interesting. I find it incredibly challenging to dissect because if you look at the favorite, $2.60, it hasn't even won. It's a maiden, which is really, really interesting. Uh, you got Cigar Flick, who I know that um, Waller has a really good opinion of it. And then you've got this horse that... I'm just having a look through the field now. Sorry, guys. Um, then you've got the instructor, who is a gay bot horse, trialled up really, really nicely on the 21st July and on the 7th July. And then Adam Hieronymus is, is keeping... Um, keeping his association with the horse also introducing is another gay bot horse now do you make it what do you make of it because normally i would look at this and go all right tim clark is is the gay bot number one rider but adam hieronymus is rating racing like an absolute demon at the moment so who knows so looking at it from purely from a price perspective i think tim clark like i said is last year is probably the best front running jockey or one of with nash in in australia so if you're looking at from that perspective, introducing is actually drawn nicely in barrier three. Will it hold out? Um, will it hold out the instructor moving forward? And and are they going to beat each other up up the front, which sets up for something like a back marker, something like um, I guess the 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 Godolphin horse in I think it's Rusalin, I think is is how they pronounce it. So yeah, there's a lot to think about, which is interesting. So. Um, personally, from a betting perspective, I'm I'm not a huge fan of this race, and I find it incredibly difficult to um, to find an edge in this race. But I think the um, if you're looking at purely from a quality perspective, I probably would just can include those numbers that we spoke about. Um, Okay, moving on to race nine. So, race nine. Here we go. So, the big boom horse, which is everyone's talking about, it's the spring preview. So, it's a it's a fourteen hundred meter handicap. Now, I don't think if if you follow racing Twitter and all that, everyone is talking up about how good Pericles is, has been trialing. Cool, love it. Good on him. Um, I think I hope James Cummins keeps the horse to the 1400 meters and even the mile, maybe aiming for like something like the Epsom because I just don't think the horse can stretch out past that 2000 meters. And I think it's absolute at its absolute max. And I think that was evident when, <coughs> excuse me, against um, when it got, went down to Lindemann in those, in that Rose Hill guineas where it was, it would traveled up perfectly. Lindemann was battling on the line and then Nash somehow managed to lift it. So I'm praying and hoping that James Cummings has had a bit of a, a rethink about the horse and keeps it those shorter trips. Um, I get why it's uh, around the 310 favorite. Like I said, it's trialed really nicely. A lot of experts talked about that. It's won first up before. It's it's handled the Rose Hill track before, and it's, it's I think, one from three at the distance with the other option being a second. Um, the horse that I'm really keen on, and I know I've spoken about this before, is Perfect Thought. Now, the horse has a horrible first up record. It's 0-3, um, better second up, and its distance record isn't great either. I think he's more a miler about being by so you think. But what I want to go back is and look at, Look at his form last prep. So he raced in the um, Queensland Guineas up here at Eagle Farm. And remember it, he jumped from the widest barrier, somehow managed to lead with with Tim Clark, kicked on the bend and was only nabbed in the last few strides by Kovalika, who went on to absolutely brain them in Derby and is a very fancied horse for all of your spring majors. So <clears throat> my opinion is, I think the horse is, is great. I actually didn't mind some of his trials recently. He was really working. <coughs> Again, apologies for that cough. He was really working through to the line nicely in that 1,000-meter trial on the 28th of July. He took a bit of while to get a kick up the guts, um, probably in that at the top of the straight, but he really looked to stride out nicely in that last probably two furlongs. So in my opinion, I think he looks ready to go. I've got a soft spot for the horse, so there is an element of heartbed in here, guys. So just take that with a grain of salt. But if you're looking at purely from a betting perspective, I'd probably only go two and nine in your quaddy. All right, so race 10, even though we haven't really touched on it a great deal, I think 
Gaza Blanca is trialled up like an absolute jet at Randwick on the 28th of July with Zach Lloyd on board. I think if you're really looking at it, you could probably almost stand him out in your last leg if they're running on, all right? Be cautious with it. Um, again, make your own decisions. This isn't me, um, but that's my opinion. All right, so that brings us now to the Mooney Valley car, the elusive Mooney Valley that everyone seems to hate. So if we look at the valley, we get good weather this weekend, which is going to be great. So we're going to be dealing with a good three, good four deck. Now take note of the rail position. Now the rail was out five meters last weekend, which was that leader bias track that everyone whinged about. It's now back in the true position. So think about where the fast lane was last week, which everyone was calling the travelator. So it's now going to be five meters out. So one would suggest that it could play a bit more favorable to those that can run on. I'm not going to say it's not going to be leader bias because we know what the valley is, but just take note of that. <coughs> now, I think everyone needs to realize that the valley is almost like a square with curved corners, all right? It's not completely a square, but because there's a there's the back straight about it, but when you look at it purely it's like a almost like a triangle if that makes sense. So what happens is there's a big wide turning final bend and then they've got a very short 170 meter straight. So what you've got to think about is you've got to think about horses who have really, really good change-up speed and can accelerate around a bend. Now, I know that's hard for, for your average punter, but just make sure your horse is off and going or it needs to be off and going around that bend if it's around the back. It cannot be waiting till this get to, to balance up and hit the ground running. So that's why they always say horses for courses with this track, particularly for your juvenile horses, so your twos and three-year-olds, because if they haven't handled it before, then they go real wobbly around that bend, and then they finally balance up and the race is already lost. All right, so just think cautiously with that. And like I always touch on with Mooney Valley, and I said it two weeks ago, watch the first two races, hence why I'm only touching on races four, five, and, and beyond. Just watch those first two races, see if there is a leader bias and adjust your betting accordingly. And just check out those speed maps, like I said, with, with, all, of the, um, with all of the bookmakers and, and those access that you can get on Google. All right, so I thought I'd touch on a few races. So the first race I want to touch on is race four. So it's a BM70 over the mile. Now, there's a horse here um, that loves the valley, but is a back marker. So the horse I'm talking about is Aspen, Colorado. All right. So the horse has had um, a few starts here at the Valley and he's, he's never missed the top two. I thought he was really, really good uh, behind Aaron Bay in a BM70 over the mile at Caulfield um, a couple of, about a month ago. And he has a really, really good first, second up record for four starts for two wins and a third. Um Tommy Stockdale takes the route, so he drops back from the 61 kilos to the 59 and a half. Now, I would be making him a bet if I knew that it was um, not going to be a leader bias, because I think with his barrier and the way he's racing, way of the ra I guess his racing pattern, he'll be dropping out the back now. But I know he's a horse that can uh, really muster up around that bend and really ping off it. So he's a horse I'd be keeping an eye on. Uh, the next one is a bit of a girlfriend of mine in this race in Bellet Riche. I know we've bet on it before, and I know Con, and I think Corbs and I have touched on it as well. I, I have a really, really good opinion of the horse. I think she's she's a wonderful mare. She's had 10 starts, and she's never missed the trifecta. Um, unfortunately, though, for this, she's first up after 187 days, and she's actually never won first up. So she's had two seconds and a third. It's all her wins have come third up or fourth up. So be wary. Um, I love that Jordan Childs is on her. And I went back and watched a couple of her jump outs. And the one, there was one there, she she finished sixth of sixth. I forget where the location was, but she was potting along really nicely the line. I think Mitch Friedman was pulling her up a little bit. But the, the jump out before that, she was right out the back. She peeled widest in that, in that trial and absolutely savage the line. So I think she's um, wound up ready to go. Um, 650 is a great price to find out. But again, like I said, just make sure horses are running on because with the way that Bellet Reese's pattern is, I'm hoping with the inside barrier she can kick up and, and hold a good position. But I think recommendation and Metro Legend from the widest barriers will roll forward. So hence why recommendation has probably been met with support. 
Uh, the next race I want to touch on is race nine on the cards. So it's a BM100 over the 1,000 meters. So it's a really quick race, all right? So with these quick races, what you find with them is they have a lot of speed, all right? So you're going to go on helter for skelter. So when you look at the speed, <coughs> when you look, excuse me, look at the speed map of this race, you've got Omni Man who can roll forward, Starry Legend, who's arguably one of the fastest horses over a thousand meters in Melbourne. You've got Inundation, who has a huge boom on him. You've got a Chroman Tula, who is also a roll forward horse. And then you've got Rattle and Bang, who's also on pace. So you've got to think about this. Does this set up for a, uh, a swooper where they're going to all be going helter for skelter? Or does it um, does it favour those on the inside draw like a horse like Omni Man, who's in rich vein of form, by the way? My opinion is, <laughs> field this if you go on the quaddy, just because of the way that this this um, race will pan out. I love, honestly, I can make a case for Omni Man. Inundations jumped out really, really well and will carry the fifty one kilos. I think the big concern though is you've got a an apprentice on sweet rides a good horse and obviously it's got my boy on um d lane's obviously riding like an absolute demon and starry legend obviously is um like i said a really speedy horse who has a great first up record so yeah that's a tough race to pick now it goes to race 10 the last race i want to touch on there at mooney valley so I think the top two in the market here are the ones that you want to keep an eye on. Now, I don't think you needed to be a rocket scientist. See, Periel was an absolute moral beaten last start here at the Valley. Now, it was on that leader bias day like we spoke about. And this horse absolutely motored around that bend <coughs> and rocketed through to the line. Um, only to go down by 0.3 of a length with Charlemagne absolutely having a field day up the front. It was a really unlucky ride from Blake Shin. Um, I think people hounded him for not getting going earlier and all these other things, but I think it was a great ride, and I think the track just wasn't against him. Now, good thing about this horse is he's he is only he's broken his maiden, but he's never missed the trifecta in all of his starts. I think if he can posse up a little bit closer from the from the inside barrier i think he's if he's within striking distance i think he'll be the one to beat but i do concede that helix is a very good horse ben mellon's a wonderful jockey and he has some very very good form lines around gringotts red sun sensation uh, marble arch who we've bet on before bel-air and a few other good horses that have come out and done some good things since so i think if you're looking at it from a quality perspective i'd be chucking those two in because i think helix will lead it it's just a matter of whether periel can get over the top of it or not all right so last but not least let's touch on the eagle farm card so the eagle farm card is oh, actually before we move on to that, race eight, just in FYI, keep an eye on Bell at Reese. She was also nominated for race eight at Morfordville with Talia Hope booked on board over the 1,200 metres. It's a group three race. Um, it's quite a good field, this one. So it'll be interesting to see where Mitch Friedman takes him. But knowing me, I'll probably have a bet on her regardless of where she goes, depending on the tracks. Um, so heading towards now towards Eagle Farm. So it's not a special meter in any way, shape or form, but there's a couple of really good races and a couple of good horses um, that I like going around. So the first race I want to touch on is the 1200 meter race um, in race six. So it's a, a class six handicap. So as we know, class six means the horses won um, six races um so or or less and it can eat well, six race or less so it qualifies now the horse that i really really like in this is ned's gully so we've we've made this a bet before i think we made it a late mail bet and it only got jagged right on the line when angela jones was in um by iris songs when angela jones was riding back in february now the horse has since come come back it had a really really nice trial in um in mid-july and then it came and resumed here at Doombin on the over the 1110 was really nice beating Shamit on in a class four. The horse now drops uh, down in weight four and a half kilos, gets the mount of Jaden Lloyd, who's a really really good jockey, and the horse has handled the. Well, I don't think he's actually been to, which surprisingly I thought he had. He's never been to Eagle Farm before, so interesting. So I think it's a really good race for the horse. Three dollars is a is a quite a <coughs> a cheap price about it, but um. I'm not going to make it a bet, but it's certainly a horse to keep an eye on. The next one is race seven. Now, this is, in my opinion, the race of the day in Queensland. 
Um, it's a thousand meter scanter over it. Now, you've got a couple of absolute weapons here and a couple of thousand meter specialists in this race, which is awesome. So you go down through it. You've got Wisdom of Water, who's won one of the Magic Millions races before. I thought he was sound behind Bonaparte. First up at Dooman over the 1,200. He's only actually won one of six second up. So you can probably... I'm a bit concerned about him. Uh, King Klaus uh, is a whore, or King Claus, however you want to look at it. Um, he's very infamous in, in my punters club. Um, I've got a good opinion of the horse. He, he really likes the 1,000 the metres. Here at Eagle Farm, he carried the big weight for second up in Rockhampton. Um, and he just loves the 1,000 metres. He's a good horse. He's drawn the inside pole, which is a really good thing for the horse. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him kick up and lead. You've got Quick Tempo, <coughs> excuse me, who has raced in some really good fields. Like he's racing Group 3 company down there in, uh, in Sydney, high BMs and all that. Now... I haven't seen any trials from him, which is annoying, and he's been out of the game for 150 days. The horse has, however, won first up before, so that's an interesting thing, and it does have a decent record at the tra um, at the distance. Now, <coughs> Rubiquous is an absolute 1,000-meter specialist, all right? He's had 13 starts for five wins, three seconds, and a third. He absolutely loves this track and trip for five wins, a second, um, five starts, two wins, a second, and a third. He had a really, really good run uh, in a handicap over 1,000 metres in March this year. He won by about two lengths with Kai Wilson-Taylor in, beating uh, Osamu, Proper Rogue, Tavisan, and Boom Nova. And he's drawn really nicely. And he's one of those horses who is quite versatile. So he can actually take a sit um, or he can lead the race. It's entirely up to, I guess, the, the jockey, which is a good thing. And the last one is obviously the bopper. So... Again, I don't know what to do with the bopper. He's one of those horses where he can flop out the back and miss the start, but then absolutely rocket home to win. Or he's one of those horses who's also led before as well. So I don't know what they're doing. You've got Andrew Mallion on board, so he's not a notable leading jockey. So it wouldn't surprise me from that wide barrier to see the bopper um, fall back or, or drift back and let uh, King Klaus, Rubiquous, Wisdom of Water, and, um, and the others kind of set themselves up so he can swoop over the top betting perspective if i had to put one in i'd probably be going rubiquitous from probably that but if you're looking from a quaddy perspective one three four uh one two three four and the last race i want to touch on is race eight so it's a three-year-old handicap now what is interesting here is you can see the favorite here high bar so it's trained by joshua king so You'll recognize those silks from Nikonova, Incentivize when he was up here, and a horse by the name of Enabler. But I think the first two that I spoke about are probably the most famous horses to come from those silks. <coughs> so uh, that horse has obviously been bred by... Um, Oh, how do I forget his name now? He's a breeder up in Toowoomba. Uh, really, really good breeder, and Josh King trains his horses now. Um, the horse won with absolute intent on debut uh, on the 30th of July. He won by about six lengths, I think it was. I can't remember, with Mark Duplessis in the saddle. So the horse clearly has ability over the 1,000 metres. Whether or not he... What's interesting is, why is he 380 after breaking a maiden? Who knows? Uh, you got Miss Kuda here, who had a huge boom on her la late last year. And then she, I think she won her first start in a, in a two-year-old maiden by about eight lengths and then backed it up in a two-year-old handicap by a similar sort of trip. And then they came down here for the BJ McLaughlin and just flopped after starting, I think, $2 favourite. It then went to the two-year-old Magic Millions Classic where it was a, a favourite at one point and they got belted by Skirt the Law. So <clears throat> I'm hoping the, the horse is sound and and it's come back. I think it's trialed really nicely. And what's interesting is uh, Justin Huxable has rid it for all of its starts outside of that BJ McLaughlin, which was Craig Williams on board. So the horse has a good first up record. It's one of the track and trip before. So he's an, um, sorry, he, she's another one that I'd be very cautious with. Shot of whiskey. We know what the Steve O'Day, Matty Hoisted uh, yard can do. So I wouldn't be putting a pen through that. And then you've got a few other horses down there. So honestly, if you're looking at it purely from a betting perspective, don't bet. But if you see any sort of real decent money come for high bar, then it potentially could be a real good bet. 
So um, that's my tips for for Eagle Farm. I'm just going to go get that because it's going to kill me if I can't identify um, Nikonova and uh, and um, Xenovice's old trainer. Steve, 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 what's his name? Steve Tregay. That's it. So Steve Tregay. So really, really good breeder. He looks in the bloodlines very well. He's based up out of there, Toowoomba. So he's the owner, I think, of, of High Bar with Josh King tra- um, training it. All right, so we get to the end of the podcast now, uh, and I'm going to give you two horses for tomorrow that I really, really like. So the best bet tomorrow is Geelong Race 2, Golden Estrella. It's about $2.50, $2.60 mark. I really like the horse on debut. Um, hit the line really, really nicely on a heavy deck. Um, I think the horse will be better suited on a dry deck. It's by Zoostar, so I think it'll be a really, really zippy horse. Ben Mellum is obviously a great jockey, and he continues his association with it. And the other horse I really like is a horse by the name of Freedom Escape in race nine. So... Obviously, you guys would know with the jockey booking, I'm really keen on it. But I really like the horse last start, and it gets a huge jockey upgrade. It actually started equal favourite in the BM64 over the 1600 metres. So it was met with some market support. Now, I found the horse was really unlucky. It had to make a wide sustained run around the bend, and I think it just clonked out. So I think now, with fitness on its edge and stepping up to the 1750, I think Michael D on board, drawn quite nicely on it in a... In a uh, barrier, I think it'll be a really good chance. So then, just a recap of those. So it's Geelong Race 2, number 4, Golden Estrella, and Geelong Race 9, number 3, Freedom Escape. Now, again, apologies for having to just listen to me and not hearing the hilarity of the, the other three boys, and hopefully we have all four of us back next week so we can start touching a little bit more and discussing a little bit more at depth in these finals coming around, the World Cups and obviously the Matildas and everything else. Um, Good luck punting on the weekend, guys. And like I said, just give me some feedback via the socials if you want me to start posting unit plays or anything like that, and I'm more than happy to. All right, have a good night, team, and then go the Bronx.